Well, off the weekend, everybody, welcome back into the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast as we come your way off of what was a very interesting set of circumstances in England that ended up being postponement of the women's world title doubleheader there. We had a prospect show in Atlantic City on Showtime on the Showbox series, and that was about it. So we're ready to recap it, and we're really ready to get uh, everything cranked up for Canelo Triple G Part 3, the trilogy in Las Vegas later in the week. So we are here for you. We are here for you. I am merely the somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is our insider from Fight Freaks Unite the Substack and from BigFightWeekend.com, Dan Rayfield. Now, I should mention to the audience, full disclosure, we're honest with the audience all the time, I am coming your way on the recap from AT&T Stadium in Dallas. No, there's not a boxing match, but the Dallas Cowboys at the time that Dan and I are taping are about to play against my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I've been in the Lone Star State. Uh, they've been asking one thing in and around the building. Where's Rayfield? Where is Rayfield? If, if it's big-time event, where is Rayfield? They've been asking for you, babe. But you're yeah. not here. I am here. So you may hear that in the background of what we're doing. But here is Dan Rayfield. How well, I, I have covered most of I the know. boxing events that have taken place at 18. I've missed <laughs> – I've missed, I think they've had eight or seven. I've missed two. One was Spence uh, Ugas. One was the Danny Garcia Spence fight in the throes of the pandemic. But I've been there for the big ones. It's a great stadium for boxing. I mean, if you're into it, they have drawn big crowds for Canelo, for Manny Pacquiao, uh, for, for Errol Spence. It's a, it's, I like, I love going down there. To, you the were fights. at Canelo Billy Joe Saunders, if I'm not mistaken. Were you at Canelo Billy Joe Saunders? I sure was. Okay. The all time, the all time United States indoor boxing record crowd. That was my first event after, you know, 17 months or 16 months from the pandemic. Uh, drew a record 73,000 plus an mm. electric atmosphere for a supreme Canelo destruction of Billy Joe. Broke his face, unified the titles. Huge, huge event. Yep. All I know is I was having trouble finding a location, et cetera. And I told a couple of the people here with the Cowboys, the state, I'm like, I got to get the podcast with Rayfield. They said, why didn't you say so? Rayfield, get in here. Get All right, get in here and get the podcast done. So that's what we're here to do. So Make first sure you thing, say hello to my uh, my main man, Jerry Jones, while you're down there. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm sure I'll get close to him to say hello to him before the game uh, tonight. All right, first, first couple of things. Again, we are here off the weekend. We are customarily here off the weekend. Find or subscribe to the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. You get us all the time through Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Uh, again, you'll get it whenever it is. Uh, just like you've gotten it here, whenever there's a recap. We're also in the preview mode on Fridays. Dan is headed out to Vegas for Canelo Triple G. He will be there. You'll want to be with us for the preview show that's coming later in a week. But I want to tell the audience, we, we've got Canelo and, and Triple G interviews for right now on this podcast. You're going to hear from Gennady Golovkin's trainer and from Triple G himself, both in two different conversations with Dan later in his podcast. We're wetting the appetite a little bit on the podcast here before you get to Vegas later in the week real quick, right? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was great to talk to those guys. It's been, a, it's been a minute. I mean, I've interviewed Triple G many, many times, uh, covered his entire career since he's come to America, which is the anniversary is 10 years ago this month. And so, uh, you know, I've gotten to know Triple G a little bit. And, uh, you know, it was good to talk to him. And Jonathan Banks, you know, I go back many, many years with him to, uh, you know, early in my career, he was the disciple of uh, the late great Emmanuel Stewart, who was uh, uh, just a great guy and, a, you know, a father figure in Emmanuel also trained Jonathan when he was a aspiring cruiserweight and heavyweight contender. Um, and it's interesting to hear from the guys uh, and just their, just their mentality going into this third fight with uh, Canelo Alvarez. And, and uh, you know, in terms of Jonathan, you know, he was not Canelo's, uh, I'm sorry, he was not Triple G's trainer for the first two 
fights against Canelo. So he brings a little bit of a different attitude and take on uh, what what's what is going to be presented to them uh, in this third fight. Uh, but uh, they were they were good. They were poised, excited, in good spirits, and uh, ready to go. All right. So we're anxious to hear from both of them in a few moments. By the way, we're also bribing you uh, here on the Fight Freaks Unite recap because Dan has got a giveaway, a really cool giveaway. Uh, if you rate and review us on Apple Podcast and take a screenshot of it and send it to us, somebody, when this when this whole weekend is up with all of our preview podcast, recap podcast of Canelo Triple G is up, we're going to give away room key cards. Now, you're saying, why, why do I care about that? You care about this because it's a room key card with the poster likeness. Is that the best way to describe it? From the first Canelo Triple G fight, September 2017. And you're throwing in a bonus room key card with another poster from another fight. Tell them more just real quick. That's the uh, Manny Pacquiao, uh, Floyd Mayweather mega fight from 2015. And just to recap very briefly, for a 10, 12, 15 years or so, if you went to a big fight where the MGM Grand was the host hotel, either taking place in their venue or at the T-Mobile Arena, uh, if you checked in, your room key was a picture of the fight on a credit card and they're collectible. And I have acquired many of them over the years and I've got some extras in my uh, massive boxing collection. And so we were trying to come up with ideas of what we could do to bribe the peeps to give us a nice review on on uh, Apple uh, on the podcast and uh, happy to do it. Lighten the load a little bit, send a few out, make the peeps happy, help out my fellow collectors. Love it. So in other words, uh, you're going to give away two key cards to a single person that we will draw at random after the weekend is over. Go rate us and review us. Tag Dan. Tag Big Fight Weekend in a screenshot that shows us your review. You've got a chance to win what are really neat items. Again, it's very difficult to get your hands on these things because they don't make them anymore. There weren't that many of them in the first place. Not, not everybody necessarily kept them from when you were in and around the event. Your hotel magnetized little credit card, key card. Pretty cool little gifts, little trinkets Absolutely. Uh, yeah. in honor of, uh, of uh, Triple G and uh, Canelo. And by the way, it made, collection. it made sense to do Triple G Canelo once since that's the big yes. fight this weekend. And unfortunately, by the time they got to the second fight, uh, the MGM was no longer doing car, uh, key cards for the fight. So uh, it's an incomplete set. And I'm assuming they're, they're not going to have it for fight number three. I always hold out hope. But trust me, if they do. If they have one for fight number three, you know I'll be coming home with a bunch of them. All right, so you'll be scoring some more because that's kind of that's the kind of guy you are. All right, so let's get into it. It is a recap podcast. First of all, we know again because of the death of Queen Elizabeth and uh, her upcoming funeral service, etc. The state of mourning that they're in, in in England and in Great Britain, the women's world title doubleheader was in fact postponed. We theorize that it may very well have been postponed when we did the preview podcast, but again. We didn't know on Thursday night as it turned to Friday morning what they were going to do. They eventually did postpone it. So, Dan, just by means of recap now, what is the latest on when they would try to fight again? Are they going to try to keep both fights together on the same card? What do we know real quick? Well, uh, basically the plan is this. They First of all, originally they announced that the women would weigh in on Friday and then they would make the decision. Uh, fortunately, they didn't make them weigh in because it would have been kind of ridiculous to do that. Uh, no official weigh in. They postponed the fight. Um, and, and they're working with the, you know, between Boxer, the promoter in England and Top Rank, which is the promoter for Michaela Mayer. Uh, they're trying to work with the British board to reschedule, simply just put the fights on on October the 15th, still at the O2 in London. Uh, Clarissa Shields against Savannah Marshall for the undisputed women's middleweight title and the uh, women's junior lightweight three belt unification between Michaela Mayer, who has two of the belts, and Alicia Bumgarner, who has one of the belts. And they're going to they, you're going to aim to just have the two fights go on as planned, but basically a one month delay. 
Um, they use the term provisionally because it's not 100% set. Everybody has to get all their ducks in a row and, you know, dot their I's and cross their T's, but it appears as though that will be the new date. Now, the interesting thing, as I was looking at the schedule, is from the American perspective of broadcasting, that would be the same night that ESPN will televise the rematch from Australia between Devin Haney, the undisputed lightweight champion, and the rematch against George Cambosis. And so they're going to have to work that out. Now, they're not going to take place at the same time because the women's fights would take place uh, Eastern time, you know, in that 5.30, 6 o'clock time frame, whereas the, the men's fight in the United States time would probably be in that 9 or 10 o'clock range. But they kind of got to get it worked out where they don't – I don't think they're going to want them to overlap because um, overlap's not necessarily bad, but they're both on ESPN+, Plus, whereas the men's fight's also on regular ESPN. So they got to work the timing out and, and get it situated 100%. But – when Boxer announced the postponement of the show later on Friday, they announced that that was what they were working on, that October 15th was the likely new date, and hopefully they can get it done. And, uh, you know, I saw some tweets from the Michaela Mayer in particular uh, and Clarice earlier, like nobody seemed to have hard feelings that they postponed the fight. They all understood. They're adults. They're professionals. And uh, you know what? It's unfortunate because they were – you spend your whole training camp trying to get to the point where you're on weight and you're peaking at the exact perfect time to get in the ring. And all that had been done, and now you have to basically lay off for four weeks. So hopefully the women don't overtrain. They'll take uh, you know, several days off, a week off, whatever, uh, and then get back in the gym and, and do their thing, and we'll see some uh, good fights uh, in a month. But it'll just be a little bit later than we hoped. Fair enough. And also that October 15th date is the, is the PBC Fox pay-per-view with Deontay Wilder headlining as well. But again, to your point, just one more time real quick, the ladies' fights, the women's fights should be earlier in the day, done and out of the way. And that's that's two tremendous, uh, intriguing fights. And it's looking at us at a sold-out O2 arena. It was close to sold out from what I was told and from what I saw and what you were reporting. So let's see if they can reboot it on uh, on October 15th for uh, Shields Marshall in particular and then Mayer and Bumgarner as the clove feature. All right, so as I mentioned, there was a fight card of some significance. Showtime boxing, Showtime uh, prospects on the Showbox series in Atlantic City. Uh, in the end, Joseph Adorno ends up getting a 10-round hard-fought close decision over Hugo Roldan, who was making his U.S. debut unbeaten from Argentina. These were junior welterweights. By means of recap, just give me a quick thought on that. Anything else from the card? Because that was basically the most prominent action we had this weekend, Dan. I mean, it was a pretty good fight. I mean, you know, Adorno, when he a few years ago was considered like a really blue chip prospect. He had a good amateur career, top rank and signed him. He was knocking everybody out. He was very young. You know, he suffered a loss, uh, you know, uh, a couple of draws. They released him. He had some weight issues, making 135 pounds. Frankly, he had some attitude problems, which uh, helped precipitate his release. Um, he took this fight on, I won't say it was like a month's notice. He was not the original opponent. The fight rolled on. It was Shenard Bunch who, who pulled out from uh, because because of what was termed personal issues in any event. But Adorno and Roldan had a fight. It was a pretty good fight. Uh, you know, Adorno had a knockdown, which proved to be the difference uh, in the match. He, it was not a hard knockdown. It was really like a flash knockdown in round two. And, uh, you know, Roldan, who was older and more experienced as a professional, uh, not maybe as many amateur fights as Adorno, but was like 56-1 and one as an amateur. And as I made the point in the preview, you know, he's, he's uh, involved with uh, the promoter Samson Lukowitz. And if you know Samson, he doesn't bring bums when he brings guys to the United States. He brings real fighters um, from uh, Argentina and other places where he's uh, procured talent. So I thought it would be a close fight. You know, uh, in the full disclosure, I did pick in our BetUS uh, show. I thought that Roldan would – I picked him by a decision and the over. 
We hit the over and we were just one point off getting that big. It would have been a big upset. It was like a plus 480 or something like that. You got to look, you got to straighten me out because I got the winner again, but I didn't get the how correct. I thought Ordonio maybe KO. I went KO on the BetUS show. It went the route, so I don't cash yeah. because I don't get the how right again. I got the who. I don't get the how. Listen, right without the knockdown, the fight's a draw. It was 95-94 on all three scorecards. That's how close the fight was. And really what it boiled down to was it was Adorno in the first half of the fight with a knockdown. And then it was rolled on basically boxing and taking over and, uh, and, uh, and frustrating him in the second half and winning most of the second half of the fight and Adorno winning most of the first half of the fight. And like I said, the knockdown uh, turned out to be the difference. And, you know, you could tell if you watched the knockdown roll down, was pissed off about it because it wasn't a big punch. It wasn't a devastating shot or anything. He got knocked off balance. He touched down with his glove and he kind of, he pounded the canvas. He was just, he was more, ticked off and you know hurt by any stretch uh in terms of uh where, where that fight was so you know at the end of the day Adorno gets the win it was much needed he moves on it's his third fight in the 140 pound division uh, he's still only 23 years old uh and he's got a chance to to uh maybe move on and move up the rank so to speak and frankly because I thought Roldan even though he lost it was his first defeat it wasn't like he disgraced himself by any means he fought a good competitive fight honestly in the right matchup I'd like to see him back also he he's an awkward guy but he's he's uh he likes to come forward and you know, it was, a, it was a good, close, competitive fight on a card that was uh, a pretty good show. Just real quickly, at had uh, Frenzy Fort, Fortunato getting a close decision uh, by split decision against Bernardo Angelo Torres, who was undefeated on the undercard. Uh, Fortunato stays undefeated. Uh, and in the opening fight, you had, you had uh, uh, Romain Villa, who was, uh, a, you know, not a known guy at all, but he was fighting uh, Janelson Boca Chico, who was in his third or fourth appearance on Showbox. Um he had just one draw on his record. He was 17-0-1 coming into the fight, and Via kicked his ass, bottom line, straight up. Mm. Uh, won a pretty clear decision, and uh, that's your triple header. So those three guys all helped themselves in victory, obviously, on that series, and we'll probably get some better fights on the show. And I think, and I think Roldan, helped himself in, Roldan helped himself in go. defeat also, in my mind. All right, so there's the recaps from Mr. Dan Rayfield. Let's get to the conversations. We've got Canelo and Triple G coming up. We've got the trainer, Jonathan Banks, and then we've got Dan's interview separately. He talked to them two different times, separate interview with Triple G. I will say on the front end, you will hear Dan asking, and you'll hear the interpreter interpreting a little bit uh, to uh, Triple G, Triple G answering a little bit in his Kazakh native language, and then you'll hear it being translated in English. Just stay with it. It's good question and answer. You're going to hear all of that in advance here of Canelo Triple G, the third bout coming this week. Let's hear both of those conversations now. All right, I'm very pleased to be joined today by a special guest, the trainer, Jonathan Banks, former heavyweight contender, and now the trainer of uh, the unified middleweight title holder, Gennady Golovkin, getting ready for your big fight, September 17th, the third go-round with Canelo Alvarez, a little different, Jonathan, than the last fight that they had together, where now this time it's Triple G moving up to the super middleweight division to challenge for the undisputed title in that weight class. Uh, I appreciate you doing this. How you guys doing? How's camp going? Thank you for being on with me. Uh, no problem, Dan. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, camp is going good. Um, um, it's kind of funny to hear the intro of you saying um, Gennady Glover moving, moving up in weight. Um, to fight super middleweight when Canelo started off at lightweight. Well, that's true, but Canelo is the one that's been steadily rising over the years, and Gennady has been uh, a throwback in many regards in the sense that he has been a dominant figure at the middleweight division for so many years. <laughs> you know, let me ask you a question about that before we get into the nuts and bolts of the fight and everything. I always looked at it like there's two schools. There's the 
a school of what Triple G is doing, what Marvin Hagler did, what Bernard Hopkins did, guys that for the most of their whole career, you know, Bernard went to light heavyweight later on, but they made their bones, they made their names, they became stars and legends by fighting in the same weight class and just dealing with everybody for years and years and years and, uh, and did it like that and then and gained their respect from everybody by just being the baddest man in that division for forever. Or there's the other way that people do things to do that similar situation, which is like a Canelo, um, an Oscar De La Hoya, a Manny Pacquiao, guys who have you know accomplishments and they, they continue to move up. They may not stay a long time in those different weight classes, but they, they take on you know top guys as they move up in weight. To you, is there one that's more impressive than the other? I think they're both impressive. I mean, all of it is impressive. I'm not, I don't, I don't, um, I'm not going to um, throw shade on nobody who wanted to um, to um, advance their career, whether it's moving up or um, getting other titles or anything like that. I mean, it's nothing, it's nothing heavyweights can do about it, but other than that, any other weight class, I mean, it's fine. I don't, I don't have an issue with it. I think it's very impressive. What um what Canelo is doing, and how do you think in terms of your fighter uh, Gennady Golovkin? How will the change in the weight class impact him? He did fight. I know when he fought Steve Rolls, they were about 164 pounds. That was the first time Gennady had had a fight, I believe, that had been contracted over 160 in his entire career. And uh, you know, obviously, he scored a knockout in that fight. But just give me your assessment about the weight impact uh, for him in uh, terms of moving up. I don't think there'll be a difference. I mean. He's he's coming he's coming in shape he's coming to um he's just a, it's an eight pound difference I don't think there'll be a difference in his performance I think he'll perform I think he I think he'll perform great um this is it's not this is not like um he's a, he don't have to jump up two weight classes this is a weight class right above you right. so I don't think it would be a difference now one thing that uh people will talk about it with regard to Gennady. I don't really subscribe to it. I've watched him a long time, and I don't really see huge differences. But a lot of people, they want to harp on the fact that he's now 40 years old, which obviously is, uh, you know, in your later days if you're a professional boxer, considering uh, especially the length of time that, that Triple G has been uh, a professional as well as an amateur. What kind of adjustments have you had to make or he has had to make in terms of to accommodate for being an older fighter now? I mean, you really haven't had to make too many adjustments. It's just a, it's just a matter of um, uh, I mean, he live a clean lifestyle. You don't have to you don't have to worry about detoxing when you get to camp. You ain't got to worry about soaking the man up. I mean, he, the man's come he's come to camp ready to ready to ready to work. So it's not too much things, too many things you need to do with him. Just make sure he's in he's he's sharp as he can be. On the night of the fight, it's not too many adjustments you got to make with a guy whose lifestyle is all about boxing. It's all about winning and taking care of his family. And would you say, Jonathan, that in terms of uh, his desire, his work ethic, as you've seen it from when you first started to work with him until this point, that that work ethic is still there even at an older age, maybe not as much activity, uh, you know, maybe more comfortable because of the riches he's earned uh, in his career? Still the work ethic there like it always was? I think I think he he trained like I be I be asking him over and over again like I I think he trained like he don't got no money in his pocket. <laughs> well, I mean that like, I guess that's a good thing, right? Gym like he's like he he comes to the gym and then I see certain sparring partners come in. I'm like, dude, why you late? You the one need to be here. 
You know what I'm saying? Like this, this man shouldn't be in, <clears throat> shouldn't be in the gym before you, and you ready to leave, and he's still working like that shouldn't be. And this man working like he ain't got a dime in his pocket, and I love every bit of him. I mean, isn't that what makes the guys who are great great because of that? And I think of guys like Gennady, like Canelo, like Mayweather did, like Pacquiao did. Like these guys had made huge money, but like you said, they they went to the training camps like they didn't have a dime in their pocket. Man, 100%. They work when you, you couldn't. Well, you gotta. When you have a hard worker, that's the beauty of a hard worker. If you're looking at them work, you can't tell if he's rich or poor. You just see a hard worker. And, and that's that's the bottom line. That's why when I give advice to, um, I'm back in Detroit, I give advice to kids, I tell them, I said, don't argue with an idiot. He said, why not? He said, because if somebody walking past, they can't tell who's the idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, he, if he's that hard of a worker, uh, I'm sure that it, at least it makes it a little easier on you in terms of you don't have to, you know, go go hollering and screaming and kicking rear end to get a guy to do what you want him to do. That he's motivated no, to do it no, on his own. I'm very fortunate not to not to have to do that so far. Yeah, exactly. My whole part the whole training career, so it's, it's been great. All right, so before we get into the the third fight uh, between he and Canelo, I wanted to ask you a little bit about going back to the April fight when he fought uh, Ryota Murata in Japan. Uh, scored a, a ninth-round knockout, unified two of the middleweight titles, which I know was a, a, a big accomplishment for Gennady, something he really wanted to do. He looked a little bit rusty early, understandable coming off the layoff, uh, but in the end, he looked. I thought he looked really strong. He took him apart and scored the knockout, you know, in the other guy's hometown. Um, can you just give me your thoughts about his performance in that fight? And, and, and what I feel like is sort of like the weird criticism that he was rusty and like, okay, he hadn't fought for a while, so maybe he didn't look superb for like two rounds or three rounds, but, you know, after that, it was all Triple G. Right, he, he took he took his he took his time to warm up. I mean, you could a lot of people don't understand. You could tell a fighter whatever hell you want to tell them, but once they once they start feeling themselves warm and they 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 in their rhythm, that's when they that's when they start you know really letting it go. And um, every corner, when he came back to the corner, he said, "JB, I see it, I see it." I understand. I see it. Before I said something, but the first thing he said, because he knew what I was going to say, because mm-hmm. I'm like, bro, you got to start moving. You got to start letting your hands go. He knew what I was going to say, but he looked at me and said, JB, I got it. I see it. Trust me. I see it. I said, okay. Like, what am I to say? Man, tell me you got it. Man, tell me see it. You the, end, you the one in there fighting. I have to take it. Just like you got to take my word for it, I got to take yours. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. And, so after uh, the third round, he said, "JB, I'm I'm there now. I'm there. I'm 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 where I want to be." I said, "Gee, listen, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see it on the round like this. Let's go, bro. Like, we got to get this." And he said, "Okay." And he started getting it. I'm saying, "Cool. That's what I'm talking about." And it was a good knockout. And it was like watching the old Triple G in terms of just getting rid of a guy very very ruthlessly. Uh, right. And now you move on to this third fight uh, with Can- with uh, Canelo. I know it was maybe touch and go where maybe Canelo would. Uh, not fight him a third time and opt for the the, the rematch he had the right to uh, with the with the Bevo situation, but he, he ultimately decided to do the fight with uh, Gennady. And I, I know, look, there's been a lot of water under the bridge between these guys with those first two fights. And I wonder if, what, what is your sense of uh, in 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 when you talk to him about the fight and you guys go over the plans for the fight and et cetera. Just how badly does he want this one? Because, look, the first fight was a draw. Everybody in the world except for a couple of the judges thought that, you know, Gennady was the rightful winner of that fight. And then when it came to the second fight, he got a majority decision loss in a fight that a lot of people thought he won. And, frankly, a lot of people thought it was a draw, but very few people thought that Canelo really won the fight. So 
How bad does he want this one? It's a big, this is a big one. Well, like on the fortunate side for G, he's just taking this a heat. It, it was so long ago that when he was when he was when he was talking about him with me, he just he was ready for every fight. It was like, okay, Canelo next, Canelo next. Then it got to the point where I said, you know what? It got to the point where he felt like this man don't want to fight. So let's just move on. I don't want. He said he told every reporter before he got. They said, "Okay, G reporters about to come in." He said, hey, "Tell them don't ask me about Canelo. I don't want to hear nothing else about him." You know, it got to the point where he didn't want to talk about him because he was disappointed that the fight should have been happening. Right, but you now know? now that it's here though, and I wonder, he's got to now that he knows it's happening. His juices have to be kind of more geared up for it. And I, I just, uh, I just sort of wonder, like, just, I mean, his, Gennady's legacy is pretty much set. I mean, he's one of the greatest middleweight champions of all time. He's been one of the great pound-for-pound fighters of his time, uh, the great knockout artist, a ton of fans, and, you know, had a wonderful career no matter what happens going forward. But got to think that that's whatever happened with him and Canelo the first couple of fights got to stick in his craw a bit, and he really would love to just get this one for his own sake and just uh, be done with it. Man, I would love to get. I would love for him to get this win, uh, and I'm sure he would love to win because he love he loved to win. Why not? Why wouldn't he? He shouldn't be in a sport if he didn't if he didn't want to win. So, do he want to win? Of course. Is he looking forward to fighting Canelo? Of course. Is he is he over excited to fight Canelo? No. Yeah, it's just got to be just a regular. Is he is he looking at this as the super max fight, the fight of my career? He's looking at this as another fight because he have to look at it as another fight. This is the big stakes. He's been fighting on a high level, one of the highest level in boxing all these years. So this is another big fight that he has that he's looking at. Like you know, I have, I just have to go in. That's it. Now you weren't. That's, that's the proper protocol to do. You just got to go in. You were not part of his team when he had the first and second fight against Canelo, and now that you're the coach, and it's up to you to put the game plan together and make sure he's in the right frame of mind and physically ready to go and all that. I wonder uh, how much does the first and second fight play into your planning for this third fight? Uh, how much do you guys discuss that? Because he did have 24 rounds with Canelo. I don't know if Canelo is, you know, a dramatically different fighter now than he was at that time. How much does that play a role in as you prep for this one? You know, from, 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 your, from your point of view. You don't play a role at all for me. So you don't go back um, and watch those two fights and try to dissect things and talk to him about them? Not at all. It makes no sense. Both fighters are significantly different than it was the first two fights. You know, think about it. Canelo came in as a smaller guy the first fight. True. Right. In the first fight, he was the smaller guy. Now he's coming. He's got it. Now he's got to come down and wait. But I'm, I'm, but the tendencies of what they do when the bell rings, whatever they are when they're on a scale, are very similar, I think. Don't you? I don't think so. I mean, look at Canelo's whole fight. His whole style has completely changed. Look at the way he fought Floyd when he was a real smaller guy. And look at the way he look at the way he fought um, um, light heavyweight um, when he stopped the, um, Kovalev. Kovalev. He fight completely different. It's a night and day difference from the way he fight. Look at the way he fought Alexander Law. I still think Law beat him, but whatever. <laughs> but, but look at the way he fought him. It was still different. Canelo was a mover. He was a boxer. Canelo not moving in boxing no more. Canelo walking around at 350 pounds, walking guys down, punching them and knocking them out. 
That's what he's. That's what he's doing. So the bottom so line he, is that the twenty-four rounds that he and Triple G fought with each other, you don't, you have not spent time looking at those fights to see if you can pick things up and impart them on Gennady, and you don't spend time talking to him about anything related to those two fights. You said, do I? Yes, do you? No, I don't. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Man, I, I just think both fighters are different than it was those two fights, especially Canelo. Well, okay, so, so speaking of Canelo, he's coming off of that loss that he had to Bivol in May. Uh, was considered an upset, even though Bivol is obviously an outstanding fighter and was uh, the bigger man and uh, you know a very skillful fighter in his own right. Uh, competitive early, but nobody's disputing that Canelo Alvarez was the loser of the fight. Did you watch that fight? What did you think of that fight? And does, it, does his performance or maybe the mentality of coming off of a loss from do you think it has any bearing on how he'll approach Gennady in the third fight? Man, it may have an approach on how he approached this third fight, but I've seen the fight. I was in, what was that? I think I was in Dubai when, when the fight happened. So, yeah, I saw the fight. And what was your impression of Canelo's performance? Um, I thought it was, I mean, he lost. So, right. so I can't say he did an amazing job, you know what I'm saying? But I thought he did a good. I thought he did a typical of what Canelo do. He was looking. He was looking to stop him, and he was dealing with somebody who was who kept moving and wasn't sit still. So and who kept the job? Who kept their job in the space? Which gave which gave him problems. John, one of the big things about your career, I know, is that uh, you're a disciple of uh, the great Emmanuel Stewart. Uh, you know, in the Kronk Jim style. I know that, uh, you know, you learn so much of what you do from him. Emmanuel, one of the things that he preached all the time, I heard him say it to my, to me and many others a thousand times, is, you know, he loved knockouts. He wanted his guys to go for them, do it smart, but he wanted to see his guys get by, get a knockout, not leave it to the judges. And I wonder, you know, if there's ever been a fight where you don't want to leave it to the judges, it's a Gennady Golovkin-Canelo Alvarez fight, especially what occurred in the first two fights. And so I wonder... With that in the back of your mind and the, and the, the preachings of Emmanuel Stewart, how big of a deal or important or something you strive for smartly for Gennady to, to finish this by a knockout and not let it go to those judges, which, you know, who knows? It could be another controversy without question. Um, I, honestly, I would love for this fight to end in a knockout. I would truly love it for a G to... Um, to put a stamp of approval and, and stop um, Alvarez. But um, neither guy's been stopped before. Neither guy's been down before. So um, you got to prepare for multiple things, not just one. You know what I'm saying? So G has spent enough time in his career just looking for the knockout and nothing else. You know, so... And my, my thing is, I believe the knockout can happen but you just got to put a lot of pressure and let your hands go to um, to make it happen. It ain't going to just come to you. You got to make it happen. It is pretty remarkable that you just said that. If you take a look at these two, you know, I consider great fighters, Canelo and Triple G, that in their whole careers combined, never been knocked down either of them or, or stopped. I mean, that's... And they fought top guys. Not like they, they got that way because they were fighting just in a bunch of uh, nobodies over these last number of years. Uh would that would because of that fact that these guys have shown the sturdiest of chins in the world, that a knockout would be the ultimate stamp on a fight like this, especially given the the magnitude of it. Yeah, it would be the ultimate stamp, but at the same time, you can't 
you can't go to camp preparing for that because neither guy's been down. So, right. I mean, to, to hope, put all your hopes on the one-punch knockout, that would be that would be allowing yourself to, to be, you would have to, you would be allowing yourself before the fight starts. You already lost, you already down 10 rounds. Well, John, it doesn't have to be a one-punch knockout. It can be beating the guy up for 10 or 11 or 12 rounds and stopping him with a few seconds left also. It doesn't have to be a one-punch shot. It can be break him, break him, break him down. But at the same time, but you're talking about a guy going in looking for a knockout. When the guy's going to look for the knockout, you don't see guys throwing multiple punches. You see guys looking for one punch to knock the guy out. That's more of a typical situation that guys do. <clears throat> you may have a guy that let his hands go but name one puncher that walked in the fight to let his hands go and then eventually get the knockout. There's no, there's no one-punch knockout guy that sit there and let his hands go and hoping that one puncher catches him. These guys throw one, maybe two punches at a time, hoping that puncher knocked the guy out. Yeah. They're not, they not very active throughout the rounds because they're looking for that knockout. So to go in looking for a knockout, then that's going to allow guys not to be as active. And I don't want, I need, I need G to be active, not looking for that one punch. In other words, let the knockout come to him if it can happen, as opposed to go searching for it. I think, I think he can go get the knockout by being active, but waiting for, waiting for, waiting for, seeing what punch open up, he could start losing rounds. And, and I don't want that. Now, I just want to wrap up with this, John, and I appreciate you doing this today. I wonder, uh, win or lose, you know, I, I mean, I don't think anybody, Gennady himself, would say he's got a long time left in the, in the, in the ring. You know, he, like I said, he's 40. He's made a lot of money. He's got his health. He's got a lot of things he can do with his life. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if he can get this win or if he should happen to lose. Like, what else do you think is out there for him in boxing uh, after this fight? I know the WBA ruled a couple weeks ago that he'll have a certain time frame in which to tell them how he wants to handle this title. If he wins, what's he going to do at super middleweight? If he, if he doesn't, will he come back to middleweight and defend against his mandatory heiress, Lonnie Lara? Like, what do you think his future would hold regardless of the outcome of, of the fight on the 17th? Um, I, think he, I think he can go back to middleweight and uh, unify the division if that's what he's, if that's what he's you know, comfortable doing or if that's what he chooses to do. I think the, um, the ball still be in his court. He still got the magnitude and the draw of a fighter that can, that can make a decision to fight another time, and people will follow him. Do you think it's a possibility that uh, whatever happens, he might have a sense of, like, a finality and, you know, call it a day, retire? Well, whether he, if he do it, I mean, he got my support. I mean, if he don't do it, depending on depending on how the fight shape out, whatever decision he make, um, depending on how he look in the fight, is um, how I will go with. It. All right, very good. We can leave it there. I certainly appreciate you uh, answering all these questions, taking the time out to do it, and I, I wish you guys nothing but the best of luck on September seventeenth. Just make sure you call um, Las Vegas Police Department. And why is that? Just in case um, we get a couple of robberies on the night. <laughs> well, I hope you not, know, but just in case. I'm the judges' table so the judges can keep judges on it. Uh, because of the amount of fights I've covered in Las Vegas, 
and the amount of stories I've had to do about unfortunate uh, situations where boxers have been in trouble with the law. Believe it or not, John Banks, I do have the Las Vegas, the, the police department number in my cell phone uh, book. Don't worry about it. Listen, I know you the man. I, I know. <laughs> I understand that. You know, that's why I said something <laughs> to you about it. All right, Jonathan. Thank you so much. Best of luck in the fight. Thank you. I appreciate it. You bet. All right. I, I couldn't be more happy to be joined now by the two-time middleweight world champion, one of the greatest fighters I've ever had the privilege to cover in my 20 years of doing this. Uh, it's none other than Gennady Triple G Golovkin. Gennady uh, in Big Bear, California at your training camp, getting ready for a big one, the third go-round with Canelo Alvarez. Thank you very much for doing this. To start off real quick, I, how how just uh, is the anticipation for you to finally have this third fight at hand? Because it's been a long wait to get it. It's not just the training camp. It's been a couple years since you've wanted this fight so much. С той стороны и обращение в суды, и отнеки, ну, то есть избегание этого боя. Finally. That explains it all, finally. So, you know, I'm very happy that it's going to take place. Um, you know, so many things happened. You're well aware um, him going to court, avoiding this fight. Like for over four years, we waited for this, plus the pandemic times. So... Finally, I'm excited for this fight to happen. Well, I'm excited for this fight to happen also, Gennady. And before I ask you more specifically about the fight, you know, I was thinking when I knew I was going to be talking to you on September 1st. I don't know if you remember this or you realize this. September 1st, it is the 10th anniversary of your American debut, your first ever HBO fight. You defended the middleweight title against uh, Greg Proxa. Very, very impressive fifth-round knockout. Really a tremendous introduction to the American fans and the media. And I just wondered, uh, in the 10 years since then, what do you remember about that, that fight? Because that really seemed to set you on the pathway to becoming uh, the, the superstar type fighter, very recognized mainstream athlete that you've become. Я нахожусь спустя 10 лет, скажу, скажу так, спустя даже 12 лет в статусе чемпиона мира. То есть у меня сейчас в данный момент три пояса по То есть у меня три пояса в среднем весе. Это, это замечательно. И 10 лет назад я ворвался на HBO. Назовем это так, мягко. Indeed, it was a great day, and today is an anniversary, and that's that's amazing. And um, I'm very happy uh, for like being uh, like 10 years since that fight, actually 12 years holding the medalweight championship title. I now uh, hold three belts, and uh, I remember the time when I stormed HBO with that fight. And uh, of course, uh, best emotions, great memories. Gennady, uh, as it relates to the fight that's coming up now with Canelo, uh, you know, we know it's been a long road to get to the third fight. And we all know what happened in the first two fights, the, the very controversial draw in fight one that everybody basically thought that you won, uh, the majority decision in the fight two, uh, where I think most people thought that at worst it was a draw, but that you probably should have won that, maybe a draw. Um, 
Is there still a bitter taste in your mouth from the results of those fights? Can you describe uh, your feelings when you think about those two fights? Those two fights were great fights, uh, very interesting, fascinating, very competitive. I'm satisfied, I derive uh, with those fights. Uh, as for the judges, the decision is on their conscience. They were used, you know, like like disposal napkins get used. Uh, so that's what they worth. And I stepped over it. I didn't think much about it. I'm a professional athlete. I know what I need to do in the ring. I do my job. And uh, so I I strive for the best. Gennady, whatever your, your thoughts are about those two fights and the outcomes that I know were not satisfying to you, uh, would a victory against Canelo in this third fight go a long way to uh, erasing all of that and, and sort of setting the record straight in your mind? No, I don't think so. And I don't want people to think that the result of the third fight is going to erase the results of the first two. Uh, because we need to separate the first two and the third fight. This is the different time, different weight category. And uh, the first two fights were very interesting. They uh, went into history already. So any result, any outcome of the third fight uh, is um, should not affect the memory of the first two and should not erase what happened there back then. In this third fight... It's a little different because, as you mentioned, Gennady, it's a, a, a different weight division. You're moving up to the super middleweight division. I wonder how – I know how much you've prided yourself on uh, having uh, more middleweight title defenses than anybody in terms of your two reigns, uh, tying Hopkins uh, in your first reign with 20. Uh, you know, that's big stuff in terms of record books. But how satisfying it would, would it be to you to win and, and to become a two-division champion and also not only win in two divisions – but to be the undisputed champion as super middleweight, which as great as you've been as a middleweight, you know, unfortunately you were never able to get all the belts and be undisputed.
Well, uh, it's hard for me to um, like put it on some scoreboard, you know, like uh, against uh, uh, other achievements. And at the same time, I would say that it could be like the biggest uh, bonus uh, in my career. Uh, I don't want, you know, like to fry a fish until it's caught, so to say. But on the other hand, if that happens, that would be like the biggest bonus. Gennady, is there anything different that you feel like in terms of how you are performing at a higher weight in the, you know, whether it's in terms of your preparation or, you know, do you feel like your punching power is going to still be there eight pounds heavier? Подойти к этому весу. То есть, если я в 160 там пару последних пару дней одеваю дисциплинарный костюм, чтобы выгнать воду, наверное, просто в этот раз этого не будет. И все. А также я себя чувствую очень хорошо. It's hard for me to say right now. My power, my speed, it's all with me. I train hard. I feel great. Uh, the difference will probably be on how I make the weight. You know, for making 160, I sometimes need to wear like like weight burning suit for a couple of days to lose more water. And for 168, uh, there is a chance that I will not need to do that. That. Uh, and that's a good thing, I guess. That would probably make you uh, much more uh, uh, healthy and strong going into the fight. Right. Uh, as it relates uh, to uh, Canelo's fight in May, you know, when he lost to Dimitri Bivol, I wondered, uh, did you see the fight at any point? Uh, and, and what were your impressions of his loss? Ну, скажу так, все, что я видел, то есть Канело проиграл, очевидно, и с большим, с большим счетом. Okay, uh, I didn't watch the full fight. I just saw the highlights. Uh, maybe it just happened that uh, I mostly saw the best uh, people moments. Uh, so it's hard for me to say what uh, Canelo best moments were during that fight. But uh, judging. Uh, on based on what I saw, uh, Canelo lost, and uh, without any doubt, uh, with a significant score difference. It has been uh, Gennady four years since your rematch with him. Uh, how do you think that you've changed as a fighter in that time period, and how do you think he's changed as a fighter in that time period? И если говорить за, эти, за этот период, то есть этот период был и пандемия, и такое тяжелое время, и очень много нехорошего всего произошло. Однозначно, то есть мы поменялись. Почему? То есть весовая категория, смена тренеров, то есть, ну, по крайней мере, в моем лагере, да, смена полностью всей команды. И... За плюсы могу сказать, что тот опыт, который я приобрел дополнительно от Джонатана Бэнкса, от работы с, с тренером по физподготовке Крисом Камачо, с, с моим диетологом, то есть это отталкиваясь от своего опыта, то есть это меня только развило. Ну, 
опять же, с другой стороны, мне уже 40. Давайте не забывать про возраст. И... Соответственно, и Канело поменялся. То есть, тот, и, тот опыт, который у него был по боям, то противостояние, то есть, я думаю, он вырос как спортсмен. Это, скорее всего. Yes, indeed. Uh, more than four years passed, and uh, those years, uh, some of those years were quite tough. You know, like the pandemic times, uh, they were unfortunate for many, to say the least. And uh, of course, I, I changed. I changed my uh, approach to training, and uh, I have the entire new team uh, for quite a while now. But uh, I'm working with Jonathan Banks right now, drawing from his experience i have conditions trainer chris camacho my nutritionist all that allowed me to add to my versatility and uh, to develop me even more so yes i changed at the same time i'm already full i'm already 40 years old so canela i believe changed as well because uh he had a number of rivalries during that time as well and as a result of that i believe he grew as an athlete. You mentioned, uh, Gennady, about being uh, 40 years old now. Uh, you know, not, not old in, in real life, but maybe uh, old in boxing to some people. And I, I just wondered, uh, do you, do you, are there still things, uh, whatever happens in this fight at that age, are there still things in boxing that you want to accomplish? Is there, is there you know, defend 168-pound titles, maybe go back and defend your titles at 160? Uh, might you think about retirement? Just uh, what are your thoughts about, about, I know the fight's on your mind, but, but after the fight, whatever happens, what do you think you want to do? Uh, of course, I have some ideas. Uh, I have uh, some uh, thoughts about the fights uh, that I'd like to have. Uh, at the same time, it will all depend on uh, this fight, uh, who I'm going to fight next, when this might take place and uh, where exactly. So I suggest we go back to that question after September 17th. Totally fair. Uh, it, 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 uh, it doesn't sound, though, like he's thinking retirement. You know, in boxing, anything is possible, you know, uh, just uh, one punch can be a life-changing event. So, like I said, let's talk about that on September 17th. I'd rather say on September 18th, the day after the fight. Fair enough. And I'll wrap up with this, Gennady. Uh, how big and how big for you, how significant it would be if you could take care of this fight, not only win the fight, but to do it by a knockout and, and really leave no doubt and not have to worry about judges again. Yeah, 
Но опять же, то есть это лучшее, что может быть, скажу так, это лучшее, что может быть, и мы оба к этому стремимся. Мы стремимся быть лучшими. Well, um, this option exists, and uh, of course it's easier said than done. Uh, and it's uh, I'm talking about both opponents for this fight right now, and uh, of course this is the best outcome, and I know that both fighters are, are will be willing and trying to to deliver a knockout. All right, very good. Gennady, thank you so much for doing this. Constantine, thank you so much for the outstanding translation. Uh, Gennady, I look thank forward you. to seeing you in Las Vegas, and I can't do anything other than wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Dan. Anytime, of course. Well done, my friend, to talk with both of them. Obviously, you've talked uh, in the past, gotten a little bit with Canelo, etc. Now we get some from Triple G in advance of this fight, and you'll be around Canelo, obviously, later in the week. Overall, I always like to ask you this. Overall impression looking at and seeing Gennady Golovkin as you did on Zoom, you could see body language, facial expression. He knows you. What did, what did you see real quick for the interview we heard? Super relaxed, happy to be doing the interview. It felt like uh, smiling just in a, in a, you know, and, and I've seen Gennady kind of not in the best moods, but he was, he was, he's, I think he's enjoyed this training camp. I think he, um, you know, He knows he's getting towards the end of his career, even though it's not over yet. Uh, he's 40 years old. A lot of people made a big deal about the age. You know, he wasn't like necessarily in his boxing gear, but he looked, you know, in a in a in good shape facially. Still looks young. Uh, he just sort of had like a spring in his step, if you will, in the interview. Uh, you know, some people will uh, realize if they've been watching interviews or listening to Gennady for a long time. When he first was here doing interviews with the uh, media. He was doing them in English, but broken English, but kind of in an endearing way. But in the last couple of years, he's decided to, even though he understands mostly what we're saying, he has decided to use a translator. And I asked just, you know, which is fine with me. It's his prerogative. I just was wondering what was the reason for that. And basically, he feels like using a, a translator helps him more in a, in a nuanced manner get across his feelings. He doesn't want to be misquoted or taken out of context. And I think the guys who have interviewed him a lot and are familiar with him and he knows, you know, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to take a guy to context. I, I'm, I'm a professional enough to understand how to, how to deal with that language barrier. Some people aren't like that. Um, so he uses the translator. The translator, by the way, was excellent. And so uh, even though Gennady understood my questions, the translator would translate the questions and then Gennady would answer in his native language. And then the translator did an excellent job of translating those responses to me. And uh, it makes for a little bit more of an arduous task of doing the interview. But in the end, the results are what you want to hear from the fighter. And at the end of the day, it's more clear and more nuanced and, frankly, better for those of us listening who want to really hear in, uh, in a detailed manner what the person is thinking about your questions. And just real quick, in terms of the Jonathan Banks interview, uh, the Gennady call, that was done via Zoom. So myself, Gennady, and the translator, we're right. all looking at each other. When I did the, the interview with Jonathan, that was strictly uh, via telephone. So we weren't seeing each other. But uh, obviously, John speaks perfect English, and it uh, was all good. So just uh, so letting people know how it was done. There you go. There's the execution of it. And you're going to be around all those guys later in the week. And as we wrap it up here on Fight Freaks Unite, just kind of lay it out. You're headed there later this week. Uh, now we're, we're at Fight Week, my friend, for the trilogy. Yes, tell, tell everybody you're headed out there this week. And I know we're looking forward to having you on the preview as well as all the written coverage. Yeah, listen, I'm excited about it. I mean, I've covered the first two fights, also both at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Uh, Uh, I, I, I'm basically following the same kind of schedule I follow for most of the major fights I've covered. I will be there uh, early, you know, Wednesday morning, Las Vegas time. Um, 
Matchroom Boxing, which is the promoter of the event, they do their their week their fight week schedule a little bit differently than most of the other promoters. Where normally Wednesday would be the press conference day, uh, the way the Matchroom does it is they have the the Wednesday is like what they call media day. So that'll be the day in the afternoon where we get a chance to talk to the fighters, uh, and they do their media their press conference on Thursday, and usually it's sort of the other way around. Friday, of course, will be the weigh in. Uh, Saturday fight day, and then uh, come home Sunday, and you and I will figure out how to weigh figure out a way to get the taping of the podcast done because you've got your football duties and I'm going to have to catch a five and a half hour, you know, five hour. Flight. We will make, we will make do with all of this, but it should be a blast. And we've got some time to get between now and next Saturday night, six nights from now, as we release the podcast here uh, for this uh, third of these three undisputed super middleweight title fight. Great stuff. We're looking forward to that. Uh, again, I, I've been coming your way from AT&T stadium Prior to the Buccaneers-Cowboys game, as you're listening to us on Monday, you already know whether TJ had a good night for Buccaneers Radio with Tom Brady and company or a not-so-good night. But we, we wanted to be here for the audience, even with a not-so-great lineup of fights. We wanted to give them a recap podcast and look ahead to Canelo Triple G because it's worth it. One final comment, Dan Rayfield, and then we got to get out of here. Listen, at the end of the day, Triple G Canelo Alvarez is uh... – you know, arguably, not arguably, it is one of the biggest fights of this year. You know, it depends on maybe what other fights develop uh, before the end of the year. But without question, between events involving Anthony Joshua and Usyk and Tyson Fury uh, in his uh, big homecoming fight against Gillian uh, uh, White, maybe he'll fight Joshua at the end of the year. Maybe they'll finalize the Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford fight. Uh, obviously, Canelo fought Dimitri Bivol earlier in the year. But the bottom line is this fight is every bit as big as any of those fights in terms of uh, interest and history and all that. Cause remember, this is not just the trilogy fight. It's for the undisputed super middleweight championship of the world. It's two of the biggest names in the sport. They both had uh, great careers and they both put on and together put on two action fights in their first two middleweight championship fights. So uh, I know some people have kind of pooed this. Ah, it's not what it should have been. It's not what it was. And that's fair. Please. It's not what it was for fight Please. one and two, but yeah. I am anytime you can put an undisputed championship fight with two future all of famers in the ring, who've got bad blood and had two great fights. I'm in. I'm in with you. All right, my friend. Great job on a recap. Thank you, Dan Rayfield. You got it, my man. And we thank all of you for finding us and listening to us. Again, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Search for the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. Follow or subscribe. We're still bribing you. Dad, Dan has got that giveaway, the Canelo Triple G1 room key card that's got the fight poster on the key card and plus the Pacquiao Mayweather key card. He's given both of those away to one person at random that rates us, reviews us, takes a screenshot, tag Dan on social media, tag Big Fight Weekend on social media. We'll see you. We'll draw somebody at random at the end of all of this, this weekend. Let me do the preview and the recap. We're going to keep promoting. You've got time to rate us and give us a five-star review. Tell them how brilliant uh, Raphael is. That's what we want on the rate and the review. Dan, thanks. We're good for now. I'm TJ Reeves. You've been listening to the Fight Freaks Unite recap. Here off the weekend as part of the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. Canelo Triple G coverage later in the week. Bye.